We are movie boys. Uh, that's uh, we are number one there. That uh, mm-hmm. that song from years ago that people were. It's all the rage about with the kids. Ages ago, yeah, yeah. yeah it's uh, it's very popular. It's a, uh, it's a very good meme. I didn't even have to ask, is this memes or anything like that, because it's so very clearly memes. And <laughs> and that that's what we love about memes, is that they're memes, essentially. That's, they're catchy and popular, yeah. That, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to think about it. That's what I like about memes. Is you know what else you, you don't have to think it. about, like, at all? And nobody should. The legend of Chun-Li. Well, that's... You're half right. We have to now think about it (laughs) for quite some time. And that's going to be horrible. I watched The Legend of Chun-Li. Sorry, sorry. Street Fighter The Legend of Chun-Li. Are we sure? Are we sure it's Street Fighter? Yeah, to, to put Street Fighter as the prefix... I mean, that's a trades descriptions violation or something. Because it's not. It's not a Street Fighter film. I don't even... I, it, it's a made-for-TV movie with delusions of grandeur. That was my takeaway. It's filmed and directed and acted like a made-for-TV movie. But it's clearly got more of a budget than that. So... Th- there is some filmmaking here on a level you wouldn't see on, on you know, one of those dramas about, oh, oh my Christian daughter's getting an abortion or something like that. Um, it's, it's weird. It doesn't look professional, but it is. And it does look professional, but it's not. It's, yeah. There's it, something just off about it. There's a, well, there's yeah, there's a few things that are a little bit off about it. I mean, it certainly takes some liberties with the uh, the story of <laughs> Chun Li from the games, um, and this is this is an eighteen million dollar film. Like money was spent. Yeah, yeah, there was money there. Um, I mean, it wasn't spent on acting talent. Well, it, but I, it was I spent mean, on on some name actors to some extent, like people who are recognizable are in this film. Yeah, yeah, recognizable. Um, I mean, not like major, no. and none of them put in a decent performance. Not a one of them. No, there there isn't one good performer in here. Um, and I'm not just saying that because going from Raul Julia as M. Bison to um, what's his face? Neil McDonough. Um, Neil McDonough. Uh, it just, I, I mean, yeah, obviously that's a tough act to follow and you're not going to. And I don't think Neil McDonough would make a bad M. Bison under different circumstances. He could be perfectly fine in that role. I, 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 I'm. I feel like Neil McDonough is the guy that uh, you hire when you want um, Billy Zane, but you can only afford his eyes. <laughs> you know what? I would love to see Billy Zane as M. Bison. Right? He would do a great job. He would throw job. himself into that. Yeah, he would do a good job, I think. And McDonough as very typical corrupt corporate executive style villain. You know, like, 
he never reaches the sort of apex of delusion that makes uh, Raul Julia's version so fascinating, right? Yeah, yeah. Or indeed, M. Bison. Like, he, he captures yeah. no, nothing. He's not M. Bison. I mean, this is like when people thought that the Turtles movie uh, that, that Michael Bay did, back, back when people thought it was going to be the Turtles are aliens and Shredder is instead General Schrader. Like, mm-hmm. it's that level of removed at uh, this... Like, I, when he first walked on for a, a split second, I thought it was Malcolm McDowell. And he comes on suit and tie, uh, like you say, with his Billy Zane eyes. Uh, this Billy Zane eyes. <laughs> and <laughs> that's a song I'm writing at the moment. Um, feel free to let me know what you think after the show. And, and then he's just sort of quiet and smirky for the rest of the film. Right yeah. up until the end, just quiet and smirky and, you know, creepy, faux, nice, evil executive that really should be in RoboCop. Like, he should be in a RoboCop film, mm-hmm. which, you know, I love the RoboCop films, but that's where sleazy corporate executives are best. Not Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun Lee. This is supposed to be M. Bison. It doesn't. Yeah, I don't know that because I think it, they're attempting to make something that would be believable on some level. Are. As opposed, yeah, they're to... going for yeah, yeah, they're going for that. Oh, what if this video game property was real life? Let's real lifeize it, and mm. it's like the problem with that is is while it's possible to do, and I wouldn't dissuade someone with a. a you know, a strong enough vision from trying it. Most of the time, you just take something fun and make it boring. And that's exactly what happened here. Like, when you real-life Street Fighter, it turns out that you just get a lot of walking about, a lot of awkward scenes with that guy, who's also a a named actor who played Charlie Nash. um, Chris Klein. Yeah, Chris Klein almost staring at the camera while giving off dramatic monologues that just don't belong to a, a character like that. Um, these dramatic, frantic, wild eyes. Oh, what am I going to do? Um, cliche shit like, um, oh, we've got to hide from someone while we're tailing them. Let's kiss. There's some sexual tension. Which, by the way, don't ever try that oh. as a means to distract people. Oh. Like, the first thing people are going to look at in the street is if two people are like, are like making out in a car. Like you're going to rubberneck that shit. It's not, it's not going to make you blend in. No, it's just going to make me, you know, make me want to get in on that. <laughs> I say you might just accidentally start a dogging ring. <laughs> You might just be turning a perfectly innocent place into a cruiser spot. Like, just don't. You not, don't not... know what chain of events. You don't know the butterfly effect of that. <laughs> the one thing you won't do is remain inconspicuous if you start making out. But this scene, this film has that scene because this film is that film where there are no real original ideas. And Vega has... The cartoon grunting of a Scooby-Doo villain. that That's the major takeaway I have from him, aside from the fact that he's like a two-scene wonder and has one actual line, is when she's ducking out of his way and stuff before the fight begins, he's all, oh, oh, 
And he really is like a monster in Scooby-Doo. Just... And... And that and the hair combined with the way they designed the, the mask with the silverness and the flatness of it around the mouth. He looks like the Predator okay. in a, in a fancy you. shirt. Thank you. I'm so glad you said that because I was yeah. thinking exactly the same thing. He is, this again, like completely different from the source material. Um, he has none of what is Vega. He is just the Predator in a fancy shirt. Um, well, he gets the, he has the, you know, uh, obsession with his looks, but it's not played up enough. It's only in the scene where it's significant. It's so not played up. <laughs> the Amazon X-Ray's fact, because it had a couple for this. Amazon X-Ray's fact took what Chun-Li says in the film as canon. Because when she knocks the mask off and she says, you know, oh, I... Th- no wonder you wear that mask. I would too if I had a face like that. And he gets angry. But it's clear in the body language he's still protective of his face and he thinks he's pretty, but it's very mm-hmm. subtle. But the Amazon X-ray fact, the trivia for this film said, um, unlike in the video game, Vega wears the mask to hide his face. Uh, it just quoted Chun Li. It was that underplayed. Was it so underplayed? Uh, was his vanity? The the tr- the official trivia for this film <laughs> just takes the quote as yeah you know what that that's the only characterization I could see, and so they they just went with it. Um, what else about this film is bad? I mean all of it. Yeah, it's, all it's of it's boring. Bad. Yes, it's it, the fights too are really mm-hmm. uh, underwhelming, and uh, there there's one fight early on that shows a little bit of promise. It says, oh, okay, so they're going to do a bit of that um, Chow Yun-Fat, you know, uh, using the environment kind of uh, combat style yeah. of fighting for filmmaking. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I, I can get behind that. I'm all right with that. That's fine. But it really only happens the once, and then everything else is pretty wholly dependent on very, very quick cuts to keep the mm. fighting interesting. Quick guess, cuts and flips. Yeah, and the fight choreography, it's just there to mask that the fight choreography is kind of bland. Yeah, yeah. I mean, i mean, can you even call flips and quick cuts choreography at that point when you're just filming individual flips? It's not so much a choreography as a collage. Well, I, I almost feel like they shot the same fight from three different angles and then looked at what they had and said, oh, shit. They're not even touching each other. Like yeah. professional wrestling has more believable strikes than this. Yeah, we, we we've got to cut this up and make it look like it. Yeah, I think that's that feels more like what yeah. happened to me. Because I, I, I and I think that holds true because for as much as they use the the jump cuts, none of the fights ever really felt like people were making contact. Or that it mattered. And there aren't Um, enough people to in the fights to justify a whole lot of shot changes. So yeah, they're mostly one on one. Yeah. In fact, the most believable beatdown in the whole film is when the street ruffians just kick that old man to death. (laughs) Like that's the only believable part is uh, is that bit because there were several people. It was mostly a sustained shot, Mm -hmm. and and so and and it looked like the actors really hated that old fucker and were genuinely kicking him to death. So that 
when you're only believable and and followable for quote unquote fight scene is just an early establishing character moment for the protagonist before the protagonist even does the fighting where it's just the typical old man bullied in an alley routine when that's your best combat sequence so it's gone wrong yeah and yeah i think that's a big problem with this is it's a lot of talking and doing nothing and then when the street fighting happens, it's all poorly choreographed, unbelievable, and it's quick so cut, and it's cut so quickly that you ju- I, I can't follow that. Like, I don't want to follow that. Yeah. I don't want to follow a fight that is just, like, a, a, like, just blazing in front of my eyes like a strobe light. I can't focus on that shit. I want to see what people are doing. Yeah. It's not a good film. No, it's not a good film. Should we? Should we? Go, should we do it? Would you like to? Uh, would you like to tell us about this film? Oh boy, can I? Oh, you may have the floor, sir. We open in San Francisco, where a young Chun Li is playing piano, and an adult Chun Li is telling us in voiceover that her father wanted her to be a concert pianist, but life will fuck with you pretty good. Uh, yeah, I. <laughs> Sorry, I misheard you a little bit (laughs) and thought you were about to say that her dad won her in a contest, (laughs) which which would be an amazing backstory for any single Street Fighter was my my dad won me in a contest, (laughs) maybe a fighting tournament. Yeah. Win, yeah. win a child. <laughs> like, like the adoption market has just gotten fucking aggressive. There's a dystopian story for any budding filmmaker or well, novelist. It's, or, you know, you, that would be like the prequel for The Handmaid's Tale. You know, before there things go. get really bad. Yeah. Uh, so her family relocated to Hong Kong because her father is a business guy. I don't know anything about The Handmaid's Tale. Carry on. I don't, I don't want to learn right now. Carry on. We've got to uh, get through this film. Chun-Li takes up Wushu after watching her father doing Wushu, and then they do Wushu together. And so we sort of see this montage of her aging and learning Wushu. I do Wushu. You do Wushu. Let's do Wushu together. It's a good message. And really, if anything, I think this whole podcast, this whole spin-off Doctors podcast, has been leading up to that moment. Yeah. Oh, togetherness. yeah. Togetherness. Yeah, I think it's that's what it's really all about. Learn to do combat with your dad. Wish you was combat, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, isn't it, isn't it a sword fighting style? I I I want to yeah. say that, Just but learn a martial style with your dad before a corporation kills him. Like that's yeah. That's I... always been the message of the spin-off doctors. And one night, Balrog breaks into their house, and does the fighting with Chun-Li's dad. Who plays Balrog? Uh, Balrog is played by Michael Clark Duncan. Michael Clark Duncan. Um, Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing about Michael Clark Duncan, is he's often been portrayed (laughs) as, you know, a physically strong and imposing guy. Yes. Physically imposing, but not necessarily physically violent. That's the thing. He's an intimidator. But... My problem is, is I don't find him intimidating because he's got such a lovely face. Mm-hmm. Like, like Balrog is such a lovely, 
I mean, not that. <laughs> I mean, Michael well, in Clark this Duncan. film, he comes yeah. across as a lovely guy because Michael Clark Duncan is. He just looks so nice all the time, and I, it's a shame that he is he's left us because he was wonderful. But I only just remembered just then that he'd, he'd passed on. That yep. sucks. So, um, but he's always had just a really. It's the same with Freddy Krueger. Robert Englund has kind eyes, mm-hmm. and you see him through the rubber, which is weird because when he takes the makeup off in Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare, he's actually creepier as uh, normal Freddy. That's a, but his yeah. eyes, yeah, but his eyes look kind through a rubber mask. Uh, so there's some. This is the best fight in the film, I think. Um, right, you're getting it out of the way right out the bat. And, and I mean, I'd say it's the only fight in the film. And there's some silly stuff in this. Uh, <laughs> now, as we mentioned, I, I we don't think of Michael Clark Duncan as a fighter. And so when he uh, catches a leaping uh, Chun Li's father, I think his name is Jan, but I'm just gonna call him Chun Li's dad for this whole thing. Well, sure. I mean, no. It, none of this matters. No, it doesn't. But uh, he catches him and spins him around. It's the most awkward, uncomfortable spinning of a human being you've ever seen in a in a fight sequence. Uh, mm-hmm. Then they they push a dining room table back and forth at each other. Good. <laughs> like, th- things that should not be good fight stuff, but has the potential to be good fight stuff in the right hands with the right choreography. Yeah, yeah, with choreography. Right. Yes. This less so. Uh, there's a a bottle pop where he he hits the neck of a bottle of alcohol, and the force causes the bottom of the bottle to break out and spray liquid <laughs> all over people. Uh, now it must have been pressurized, I guess, to have that kind of force that it does, because it seems to spray out. But it also has an incredibly high alcohol content, because he then lights his hand on fire, and uses it <laughs> to light the people on fire that he just sprayed. I forgot about the fiery hand. <laughs> Uh, again, something that if it weren't so stupid, <laughs> could yeah. I mean, if it was executed in a better way, you could do fiery hand, <coughs> but but not this film no. because this this film is an idiot. Like I'm not just calling the film stupid. I'm anthropomorphizing it and saying the film is an idiot. Well, the party ends when Chun Li comes downstairs. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Bison Ruining shows it up. as usual. Of course. Bison <laughs> shows up and after creepily dismissing Chun-Li. Yes, yes. Almost as it, like, I mean, yeah, yeah. He's he's giving her those Billy Zane eyes and it's <laughs> not good. It's not good. Uh, he kidnaps her dad. And later he she finds a pendant that her father had given her with a center that shows an image of a bird in flight when it's spun. This is subtle. Mm-hmm. This may come in to play later. They Spinning sp- bird kick! That's what they're referencing! <laughs> Cut to you. I get later. it. I recognize it, Conrad. Well, if you didn't, don't worry. The film's gonna make absolutely fucking sure later. Oh, thank Christ. I was worried that people who aren't as on the ball as I am might not get it. <laughs> so years later, Chun-Li is a concert pianist. 
performing in a concert, pianisting, and remembering the times <laughs> with her father as a girl. Back- yeah, she's, she's got the the, uh, the Batman thing down pat where he can't fucking shut up about it, even though it was years ago. Get over it. She can't, she can't do something without having a flashback of a time she did something with her father. It's just her life now. Yeah. Um, I mean, probably the concert pianism didn't help. <laughs> no, no, you'd think you'd have gone into something different, sort of, you know, try to reduce that pain. Uh, backstage, she talks with a fellow performer who asks about Chun-Li's sick mother. By the way, Chun-Li's mother is sick now, so that's letting us know that right away. And gives her- I thought they were just being rad and cool and just, just like, yo, your mother is sick. So your mom's sick, yo. Uh, and she was like, thank you. That's a good compliment. And Ed, very up to date. And she gives her a backstage gift that was left behind for her. A huge and ancient seeming scroll. <laughs> this is when it was really like I got the sort of budget of a TV show vibe from this. Because this scene, along with several other others, just feels like an episode of Charmed. <laughs> like the, the other actress in this scene with Chun-Li like, is... The way she talks, it's like, I know this is some bullshit talk from a made-for-TV romantic drama. This isn't real talk in a real film, <laughs> uh, but but it is it is real in the film. Yes, they do it. Uh, taking the subway home, Chun Li sees a man with a very distinctive spider web tattoo on his right hand being beaten by some street toughs. But everyone else passes by despite her pleas for someone to help. Now, this is kind of interesting, this spiderweb tattoo thing. Because, I don't know if you're aware, here in the States, in our prison system, the spiderweb tattoo means something. And I, I am not 100% on the specifics of what it means, but it's like you're a murderer or something like that. And I'm sure someone in the comments knows and would be happy to, to put forth that information. Yeah, I don't... I'm, I feel like I've heard something like this before, but I I don't know anything about it and I didn't think of anything when I saw it. Like, it genuinely, like, I, I don't know what that means. It's... it's it, Okay, so according to Urban Dictionary, it means the wearer has or is currently doing time. Oh, right. Okay. So, odd. Odd choice, but okay. Um, fine. Uh, so Well, she... it's, I mean, it's not set in the States. That, that's true. That's true. It could mean a different, I just, a different it's thing. It's just a film production company, I would think, would have considered that as a possibility. But then it's this film production company, so who can say? How much of the 18 million went on coke, do you think? I it's hard to say. That that but I think I mean, it's hard to say with any movie, but I think a lot of it went on coke. I I think that's probably true because I mean the like the actors would demand some salary. Some yeah, of the you'll people have to in pay this. them. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately for film companies, they do have to pay their actors as much as they hate it. But I don't see anywhere else that money was spent. Yeah, so, I mean, no, you you need someone to hold the camera. You need someone to you need someone to sit in the director's chair. And, and if I'm t- if I'm being totally fair to this film, it's not shot horribly. It, no, it, it, no, the cinematography is fine. Well, again, that's part of what what gives it this jarring sort of limbo feel, 
where the camera quality and the action quality and some of the shots have that TV feel. Yeah. And then others are sort of, oh, no, this is this is some movie-style establishing shot going on here. Right. Uh, here, here are some, you know, well-cut things. So it's constantly got this caught-between-two-worlds sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she she sees this guy being beaten and uh, goes to help him and gets upset because everybody else is just passing by and not uh, doing anything to help. Yeah. Um, once back at home, her sick, bedridden mother gives her a hard time for changing out of her dress and taking the subway. So that's an awkward, kind of an awkward scene. Uh, meanwhile, in Bangkok... Bison tells the leaders of the criminal organizations that make up Shadalau, Shadalau, by the way, as it's pronounced in this film, not Shadaloo. Uh, he lets them know that it's he's more realistic. Over. Yeah, yeah. It's gritty. <laughs> so he tells the people he's he's taken over, and then they can all pledge fealty to him right now if if that's cool with them. Yeah. Uh, now I just want to just want to point something out. Again, another life lesson. Whenever you're part of an evil board of directors, right, and one of them stands up and announces very, very calmly that he's taking full control, go with it. Yep, just roll with do that. Do not, yeah, do not protest, do not, do not speak, nod approvingly if you've got to do anything. Do not do do not get angry. Do not say, you know, this is sacrilege, this is ridiculous. Like, we learned this with Kill Bill, we learned this with this. Like any evil board of directors, you know, or slash heads of crime syndicate, whatever they are, whenever one of them stands up and takes control, go with it. Because there's no way they're not standing up to say that. Without having something terrible happen to you the moment you walk out or stand up yeah. or say anything that isn't cool with me, boss. I mean, he's he, when they come with that level of confidence. Yeah, absolutely. There's just no I mean, and <clears throat> the thing that kind of pisses me off about this sort of thing is that the heads of these families, like they probably have a shit ton of money if they're doing shit right. You know, they've got yeah. money in the Caymans. They've got money in Swiss bank accounts. They could just be like, you know what? I am so down with this. You're the boss. Go home. Pack their shit and leave. Yes. Yes. There are there are many ways you can play this out in the aftermath after you survive the encounter. Like, you can stay going with it. You can just quietly fuck off. You can do any number of things. You are part of a successful criminal empire slash evil corporation slash whatever it is, whatever the evil org is. If you're in that big room with the big table, you're doing okay for yourself. So smile and nod and get the fuck out. Yes. They and, never learn. And, and oddly enough, nobody, like, it's so rare that you think about how, from the other perspective, this is a terrible, terrible idea. Even if it works, even if you, you know, make this announcement and everybody's like, fuck you, dad, and marches out. And then you have your member of the black eyed peas in a Vega mask kill them outside. <laughs> yep. Um, 
the way these organizations work, you've just created a power vacuum. Yeah. That yeah. people below will be eager to fill. And they're usually dumber than the people who were in power. So you're just going to have to kill them, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, the thing about M. Bison is he's made a rod for his own back. Uh-huh. That that's why he works better as a dictator in the uh, in the original film, which unlike this one, which is very dour and serious, the original film was a uh, very much a light-hearted comedy akin to Rush Hour. I don't know if you're familiar <laughs> with that popular movie, uh, but Chun Li, uh, the legend of Street Fighters thereof. Um, and I should point out that the way it's titled, and I think there was even talk at the time. Like, I think they wanted this to be a series. Mm-hmm. Like, it was going to be Street Fighter Legends of... Like, I know they make uh, reference to Ryu at the end of this. Spoiler alert. He's not fucking in it. In fact, this is the only Street Fighter quote-unquote film that... Um, actually, that worked for both of them. So, quote-unquote Street Fighter film <laughs> that um, doesn't feature Ryu or Ken. Uh, though, as I say, Ryu's mentioned, and it looks like they're setting it up for, oh, franchise, we're going to get all of these Street Fighter legends. Yeah, it was going to be the Street Fighter uh, expanded universe. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's probably... Yeah, yeah. Their their own cinematic universe, and it doesn't quite work that way, and it certainly doesn't work when you kill off all of the villains in the first one. Um, That's a thing. Like, it's presented like it's a prequel, but she does get everyone... Well, yeah, I mean, mm, you any one of these people could have crazily survived, but Bison's a tough one to sell. Yeah, well, I mean, it's sort of, it, it's jigsaw principle at that point when you, yeah. when you buy Saw 6 and it's like, you know, well, at this point, it don't fucking matter. Like, yeah, sure, sure. Sure, why not? He's in this one too, there are reasons. Um, like they'd have to just by the sequel, by the first sequel, they'd have to just play that card. Either that, or keep him out of that one and have him as a twist for the third. Like I don't know, have Sagat as the villain in the second one with Ryu. Mm-hmm. Like I guess that would work. Well, yeah, that would cover um, the first Street Fighter tournament. And... But yeah, we're getting yeah. ahead of ourselves. Way uh, ahead of ourselves. So everybody walks out predictably uh, from this meeting, and Vega kills them all. Uh, yes, yes. Little red triangles start appearing on all the backs of their heads. They hear a clicking noise. And as ba- as Bison uh, enjoys a snack, Balrog comes in and delivers him a USB stick. Neat. Um, Interpol, Nation- Interpol agent Charlie Nash meets up with Bangkok homicide detective Maya Suni at a crime scene, a shipping yeah. container. Do you ben- know the name of the actress who plays Maya Suni? Uh, I can look it up. It is. If you Google, I know who it is. You will flip your shit when you read what her name is. Moon Bloodcood. Yes. Wow. That. That's a is name. Awesome. Yeah, that's a name. As- not. I mean, the worst thing for me is it's an awesome name when you hear it for the first time. But for me, it was ruined because I first read it, of course, as Moon Blood God. Oh, and was like, no. she sounds fucking, like, that's amazing. And then I was like, oh, blood, good. Oh, that's still cool. Oh, that is still cool, but oh. I just spent a weekend with um, some family um, in, in the woods. And uh, there were nine children there. And none of them had a human being's name. Like, none of them had names that you would give to a child. 
except for one. There's one named, there's one Zack in there, and the rest of them are all named after Norse gods. And (laughs) my family's fucking weird, fucking weird. But that moon, moon blood good, that I'm going to have to share that with them and say, you know what? Okay, guys, so your kids are all going to get beat up on playgrounds. Uh, You wasted it because you didn't name them moon blood good. My worry, my worry is like you're inviting trouble if you start naming your kids after Norse gods. I you'd think because what if like Thor becomes a bully, and Loki starts like stealing from the other kids and telling lies. Yeah, there's so much in a name, you know. It really it's asking for trouble. It 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 sort of guides the direction of a child in a lot of ways. You got to be careful with that shit. What if what if hell? Who obviously, when she goes to school, she says it's it's short for Helen. But what if she, when she's like fifteen, becomes queen of the underworld? You are fucked. You're fucked. <laughs> you made a bad call. Anyway, so Charlie Nash meets up with uh, Maya Suni at a crime scene. It's a shipping moon container. blood good moon blood good uh, the shipping container with the heads of the dead crime bosses in it. Uh, and Nash suggests that this is going to be a problem. <laughs> Bison, He's terrible in this. Bison visits Chun Li's dad. He, oh, he, I didn't recognize him. Like I know who Chris Klein is because he's the guy from the American Pie films. Mm-hmm. But I did not recognize him until I looked it up. He, he's kind of his face is drawn. Uh, he he's lost a lot of weight, and he's playing the character as consistently overwrought in the most dramatic this doesn't belong in a, a movie made for theaters. Why? Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's uh, Anyway. Bison goes to visit Chun-Li's dad, who's working for him in some way as a prisoner. Uh, and after giving Chun-Li's dad the USB stick and intimating that it includes her recent concert performance, Bison relates that he's now running Shadowlow and says the next step in his grand scheme is to take on the Bangkok board of directors by doing something untoward to their families, and Chun-Li's dad is going to get their contact information for him. Yeah. Now, again, I don't want to keep referencing back to the Street Fighter film that was a comedy in the same vein as the hit motion picture Rush Hour starring Jackie Chan. It was Chris Tucker, wasn't it? It was Chris Tucker. I lost complete fucking track of what I was saying. Well, you were saying it was it, it wasn't the intent wasn't it's, to yeah, make it a comedy. I don't you don't want to compare it. I don't want to keep comparing it. They're two completely different fucking films, okay? Two completely different fucking films. But, but, is I have your family, random guy, and I want to fuck with some boards of directors somewhere. Get me their contact information on Google. Is that a more exciting plot than you are Dalsim the scientist? Turn this fucker green with science juice. Also, I run a country and my face is on money. Right? You tell me which is better. No, I'm 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 uh I'm 100% with you there. The other thing about this is like the, the whole premise becomes just really fucking silly once you realize why Chun-Li's father has been kidnapped. 
It's because he is a great businessman with lots of business contacts that he can get access to anyone. And Just get, steal get what the they fucker's Rolodex! Now, I'm, uh, uh, maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I thought that the kinds of relationships that that sort of networking, you know, engenders, if it's valuable, would lead people to say, hey... Didn't I hear something about you being kidnapped by? Yeah. Didn't your daughter grow up like completely without you? Like, isn't that weird that this man who knows so many people and none of them thought it was weird that everything about him completely changed and he only seems to contact them when M. Bison wants to kidnap their families? <laughs> Hey, just catching up. How was Christmas? M. Bison wants to kidnap your kids. <laughs> Jesus Christ, this fucking... <laughs> Chun-Li's mom dies, something we learned by being showed her funeral. And with, yeah. that, with that out of the way, Chun-Li's now freed up to go look into that scroll thing from the other night. Yeah, because, I mean, that that's... Yeah, her, she, had, she actually had a, a concert that night, but it turns out the mother was forcing her into it. <laughs> So she takes it to a weird shop where after nearly tripping over a guy pushing a broom with a very distinctive spiderweb tattoo on his right hand, a weird lady tells her that she needs to go to Bangkok and find a guy named Gen, who is the leader of the Order of the Web. And when Chun-Li sees an illustration of a spider's web in an ancient book that this woman has opened, she remembers the guy at the subway. Oh, and the guy we saw 60 seconds earlier. <laughs> Oh my god, it's connected. <laughs> now, Nash, yeah. Nash moves into the Bangkok police headquarters, explaining to Maya that he's basically taking over her case because he's been working Shadow Lao for three years, specifically pursuing Bison. Can and I just ask at this juncture, is, is the whole subplot with Charlie Nash just because the people making the film knew enough about filmmaking to know that films need subplots. I think so, yeah. That's what it feels like. Every time it cuts back to, oh, good, it's Klein and company, I'm thinking, like, is this here to just to fill time just because they know that they need something else happening? Klein and the Blood God would have made for a better uh, movie title. Oh, God. I mean... <laughs> I'd have preferred Calvin. Like, Calvin Klein and the Blood God. <laughs> There's money. There is a money motion picture. Oh, Why doesn't Hollywood fucking listen to me? I, I visualize it as sort of a a, um, a mid-20th century pulp novel story, like a Doc Savage, but it's Calvin Klein as an adventuring fashion designer. Uh, yes. Traveling to ancient places in search of inspiration. Uh, money idea, Prince. Again, getting again. involved with blood cults. Oh my god! This is a, this is done, right? This is a donezo deal, and no one's taken it. Is it because when I write my letters to Hollywood, it's written in bodily fluids and there's bits of poo on the paper? Uh, Sorry, the napkin. You know, Sorry, the skin. I got I gotta say, considering what we've learned about Hollywood in the, the recent six months, I'm surprised. I thought that they'd take that. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, anyway, Calvin the Blood, <laughs> Calvin and the Blood. Actually, Calvin the Blood God. Oh my God. That, well, that's the sequel. Yeah. Uh, see, Warner Brothers, we just gave you a franchise, and I know how desperate you are for those fuckos. So <laughs> give us a bell. Chun Li leaves home for Bangkok, saying goodbye to all of her family servants in a scene that's only necessary if one or more of the people playing servants are related to an investor of the film. And then she wanders around. Oh yeah, this I couldn't stop laughing at this because I was thinking, this is the most heartwarming portrayal of mass layoffs I've ever seen. <laughs> yes, as she sits there, you know. Thanking the house staff for having looked after her since she was ten, and having looked after but she her is sick mother who you know, has died yeah. of cancer, and so they dealt her with all sick that mother. shit. Yeah, and kept the house looking lovely because that it does look like a lovely place, and they're all smartly dressed, like you know, proper. This was their full time job. These were like live in house servants being turfed out. They're all happy about it, and there's you know. Heartwarming music and and Chun Li's all tears and smiles and I'm just thinking, this is I've never seen mass layoffs portrayed like a heartwarming happy scene. And, and it's 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 yeah it's like it's like if Batman right if Bruce Wayne went and traveled the world <laughs> and learned martial arts and then came back home and said to Alfred, yeah listen um it's been really great having you here you've been a tremendous asset. But we're uh, we're downsizing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm afraid we're gonna have to let you go. I packed your things already. It didn't take me long. So, <laughs> Carl's outside. Don't uh, forget to tip him. I'm not leaving you cash. I will wire you your your redundancy. So she she uh, goes wandering around Bangkok, looking for Gen, sleeping on the streets because the scroll told her to become one with the city. Stupid scroll. And as she goes, she sees people oppressing people and develops a sense of the injustice around her, but doesn't know what to do or who's responsible. She scores a free egg roll, though. She does. Now, there is a scene where she gets a free egg roll. Who's who's responsible? It's suggested by the cunning application of a fade transition from city slums to a scale model of Bangkok is (sighs) Bicet. Feel free to express your shock at this moment. I'll give you a second. There we go. Are you saying saying Bison's behind it? I know, right? Are you saying M? We're talking about that that Bison. That Bison, M Bison. Yes. Not not Kevin Bison. Not James Bison. No. M. M. Specifically. Specifically M. He's been buying up these waterfront slubs for what we can only assume is a highly lucrative condominium development project. Uh, Balrog arrives to deliver a letter relating to a quote-unquote white rose, and Bison makes an equally vague order of having a package sent to Bangkok unharmed. So now David Lynch has come into the, you know, (laughs) editing room and say, oh, you need something vague and cryptic in here. Can you? Yeah, Yeah, oh, rose. That's what I always go with. Personally, I just think this scene was based on a conversation between the executives making it, where they were getting a package of white rose, which incidentally is where a lot of the budget went, as we discussed earlier. <laughs> did did we did we mention that while Chun Li is is uh, like looking at the injustice of the street, she uh, 
Oh no, 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 because that the alleyway scene leads up to her meeting what's his face. Yeah. So yeah, because yeah. I've got some things I want to say about that alleyway scene. Oh, we for have sure. one. Yes, yes. Well, yeah. Um, Balrog also rele- uh, reveals that Shadalou, Sorry, I gotta get that pronunciation right. Uh, they lost track of Chun Li. Other than believing her to be in Bangkok, well, then you really haven't lost her that badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, when it comes down to it, you figured out that yeah, she left like Hong Kong of... and landed in Bangkok. Yeah, like there's a reason why all where in the world is Carmen San Diego was such a hard question because you had the whole world to fuck with. This is just where in Bangkok might Chun Li be? It's not as bad. It's not as bad as the kids had it when they were trying to find Carmen Santiago. And if your stakes are lower than the hit game series Carmen Santiago, something's gone wrong with your film. Uh, on the streets, a, a vendor gives Chun Li a, a free egg roll. Free egg roll. Free score. egg roll. Uh, and then that was worth firing your entire staff who've looked after you since you were ten. And then one night in Bangkok. Uh, which, uh, ha, 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 I made a song. Uh, this is, funny thing is, I literally just bought the album uh, on vinyl uh, that that song oh, comes nice. from this past weekend at a record shop in Pittsburgh. Found it. Mm-hmm. It's from a musical called Chess by Tim Rice, who's the guy who did, like, the lyrics for Cats. Yeah. Oh, so nobody's perfect. Memories. Yeah, nobody's perfect, but, uh, but, but it's a fun little musical, and it, and it spawned that top hit One Night in Bangkok by Murray Head. Uh, anyway, she seeks a group of street toughs uh, beating up a guy and yeah, now, intervenes. This is my, this is another thing. Similar to the boardroom executive scene, I've got more advice for people. <laughs> if you're an old man and there are young street punks joking in an alleyway, turn around. Yep. Don't go down that alley. Turn around. Because, according to movie law, they will always notice you and decide to rough you up for fun. That's what alleyway street punks do. And I know what you're thinking, old man walking down the alleyway, looking in, going out of your way to look vulnerable, right? You're thinking, it's okay. A plucky young warrior will jump in and save me. But that only happens in real life 10% of the time. Yeah. Most of the time, you're going to get your fucking skull caved in and your clothes stolen. I think it's... So, don't. It's a really pernicious myth perpetrated by the Hollywood machine that if you are an old man going down an alley populated by street toughs, there will always be some heroic figure there to rescue you in your time of need. Yes, uh, yes, and this is why I don't want to so much blame the targets of the violence. No, no, yeah, we that can't never solves anything. No, it's, no, no, it, 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 it's Hollywood's fault. Yeah, we've created old a culture men. in which uh, old old men just, you know, don't understand the risks. They don't know the risks. They think every time it'll be a, a plucky young warrior, you know, it might be a superhero from the Marvel Universe, it might be Chun-Li, um, you know, you wouldn't, You'd be disappointed if, if Chun-Li rescued you and it was this Chun-Li. Uh, but you'd be rescued at least. But like I say, 10% chance of that happening in real life. Mm. The movies make it look like it's a guarantee. Most of the time, alleyway street punks will fuck up your shit. 
Don't don't go near alleyway street punks. But of course, because this is the movies, Chun Li yes. intervenes and a fighting happens. The great lie. And after more jump cuts than can be found in the entire Marvel Comics run of Wolverine to date, <laughs> uh, she defeats the gangbangers, but passes out afterwards and is carried off by an unrecognized figure. Yes. She awakens in a training dojo where she's addressed by Gen, who already knows all about her and her father's kidnapping and who did that thing. But he won't tell her. Well, you know you know why? <coughs> because it's fucking Liu Kang from the Mortal Kombat movie. He's gone through some similar shit. Yes, yes. he's at- He knows all about this kind of stuff, martial arts-based evil. And can I just point out at this moment that Robin Shao who was not the original uh, person cast for this part. The uh, original uh, actor that they'd wanted to have was uh, Rick Yoon, who is uh, from the Fast and Furious films. Mm, that's uh, a bit of an overbook. I think they, they, they got confident there. Yeah, well, they didn't, uh, they didn't wind up with him due to some sort of conflict. He, he didn't wind up in the role and he got replaced he had way better films to work on probably probably and uh and it's it's sad in a way because i think robin shaw may be the best performance in this film yeah well he's i mean he's he's used to this type of film he's the only well he's the yes and he's not a terrible actor that's the thing you know he's not terrible in the mortal Kombat films he's he's passable he's he's a blank slate almost and he knows how to do the the fighting stuff that's right i mean that that was one of the draws of the the mortal Kombat movie was a lot of these people knew how to make a fucking kick look good you know and so he's the guy who accomplishes the best of both worlds here He's a talented enough actor to handle the relatively simple role that he has, and he can do the fighting. Unfortunately, there's nobody else in the film for him to do the fighting with, so it doesn't do them a whole lot of good. They could, you know, they, they just hired one other person to that, that could have a good fighting seed uh, and put it in there with him. Could have been fine. Didn't happen. No, they they pair him off with uh, Michael Clark Duncan, oh, if I recall like correctly. Like the worst, the worst combatant in the thing. Yeah, like it, and it's not a yeah, it's not a fight. It's just throwing him around a bit. It's it's yeah, Mortal Kombat. This isn't. No, it is not. Uh, so again, takes rush your... hour. This sure as fuck ain't. No, it doesn't even have it. The fighting isn't even anywhere on the level of rush hour. <laughs> no, no, the serious bits in Rush Hour are more gripping and serious <laughs> than than this entire serious film. So Gen takes her on a tour of the slums of Bangkok and explains that they're being bought up by Shadalau, an organization that he used to be a part of before forming the Order of the Web. Oh, that fucking rat. He also explains that Chun-Li's father was such a well-connected businessman that any door would be open to him, and Shadow Lao has been using those connections to achieve their goals and suggests that he's been helping them in order to protect Chun Li's life. Oh, shit on my chest and call me Strawberry. Gen invites her to join the Order so she can learn to fight, and she says she knows how to do that already. If I'm being honest, I haven't seen any actual evidence of that yet. 
Yeah. And and yeah. And, and, and and having finished the film, still waiting. <laughs> so they go back to the dojo. She's really good at summoning CGI at the end. Though. Yeah, yeah. She... She's really good at, again, casting spells like you'd find in the TV series Charmed. They go back to the dojo and some training fighting happens. Gen easily counters every attack she puts forward, pausing Mash to say shit. some Yoda shit about anger clouding her judgment now and then before she mm-hmm. gives up. He then uh, talks to her more about her anger while creating a ball of energy and throwing it against a wall. And then and he's doing this standing in a like a Zen garden, which at yep. the completion and, and... of this maneuver, he's created a yin yang in the sand beneath him. <laughs> Oh god, yeah, I rolled my eyes at that bit. But to describe the the fireball, um, like I'm not joking when I say like again, T V grade special effects. Like that would look okay in like the Christopher Eccleston Doctor Who's. Mm-hmm. Like that's Where you the have level a BBC of... budget expectation, sure. Yeah, where it's like, okay, I get that it looks a little bit wonky, but the performances are really nice and they're they're selling it with enough gravitas that it doesn't mind that it looks a little cheap. Yeah. Uh, here, it's, again, you imagine going to the movie theatre and seeing that, seeing that Christopher Eccleston fireball. Imagine what the BBC could accomplish with $9 million worth of budget. For an episode yeah. of Doctor Who. For a, for a single episode of Doctor Who. Imagine that. Yeah. Subtracted for cocaine. <laughs> Which I imagine they'd use less of. Yeah, probably. Probably. Uh, so they, they begin training. Uh, and uh, Chun-Li's quickly frustrated by her inability to produce a ball of energy from her own hands. Yeah, she she just makes a, a really shit special... Sorry, she makes a really shitter special effect <laughs> than the one that uh, Liu Kang is summoning. Then she decides to Google Shadow Lao for more information on the organization. You know, this highly secret <laughs> criminal enterprise. Learning about the shell... They got corp- a profile on Forbes. Yeah, she she quickly finds uh, uh, the, name of the, the name of the shell corporation that's buying up the waterfront. And the identity of its CFO, Cantana? Can- yeah, yeah, it's. Well, it's spelt Cantana. Yeah. C A N T A N A. That ain't how they're pronouncing it. Ca- they, they, they're, they're pronouncing it practically Katana. Well, sometimes. But then sometimes they do quite enunciate that N. And, I mean, close your ears if you're easily offended. They're calling her Cantana. <laughs> That's that's what I heard distinctly at some points in this film. So she's meeting with a uh, a group of... We, we then cut to her meeting with a group of Bangkok board members. Never in a scene she's in, I think. Like, they say it behind her back. <laughs> so suggesting that this is a, uh, a, a a cruel pet name that they have in some way. Fucking, fucking politics. Talking shit behind that's her back. Well, you know, it's that glass ceiling back, crap all over politics. again. Right, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. A, a woman tries to lean in, and this is the reaction that she gets. It's just, you know, it's yeah. disgusting. So she's... A- it's almost like she'd have been a better pick for Shadow Lao, like, boss, and maybe even got more votes, popularly. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
that's dedicated to the people who who say that that, that our know, political how, how humor is, is is overdone and and we should stop doing it, and that we should stop doing it, and and how how hard it is for them to to have to hear it. Um, and and that one in particular who said it was the worst part of of Trump winning was us <laughs> making references to it in a jokey manner on this podcast about shit films. God damn! But, uh, if only could you imagine how wonderful the world would be if that was the worst <laughs> thing that happened as a result of Donald Trump. I think we president? I think we had this conversation once before. But what a world! What a, what a wonderful life to have. <laughs> I, I wish I was that person. But anyway, oh, right. anyway, let's talk about Cantana. Right. I, I'll, I'll say it how it's spelled. Cantana. It might be that they're trying to, to quickly say Katana. I d- maybe it's trademarked and they couldn't. Or, or maybe just call her Cammy. Or something. She's like Monica. Have a character from the from the games in it. And she's. Uh, oh wait, no. I'm sorry. They were saving her for Legends Cammy. I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Well, yeah. So she is a new character, right? I'm not like this is. There's not some Street Fighter character that I've just like. I'm neglected. I'm not. A, I'm not a big fighting game person, so I don't know. Like I, I only know the 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 famous original Street Fighter Two roster. Right. She's certainly not there. But but the closest to her name I can think of in fighting games is Mortal Kombat's Katana. Right. Okay. So she's uh, played by Josie Ho in this, uh, who is just a, a Hong Kong singer and actress. She's not done uh, really much at anything uh, notable in terms of uh, American audiences, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, yeah, like it's her... Her credits. Then again, it, tons of it, credits, it, it, but nothing I've heard of. Um, what what's her market? Uh, largely seems like it's cut rate. You know, she's. She... I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, geographical market. Oh, uh, she's she's probably in the Asian market. I would assume she's she's okay. uh, a Hong Kong, uh, and the daughter of a yeah. casino magnate. So there mm-hmm. you go. I mean, I just yeah, yeah, because you say when they when sometimes when someone's done nothing really notable in America, yeah, like she could it's, very it's, it's well be pure, big in China, but I, I yeah, like I don't audience get that spread sense necessarily from this. Like you look at these lists of works that people are in, and they either have a whole lot over the course of her career. It's like it spans ninety four to twenty sixteen, and she's in at least something, at least one thing, if not five things every year uh and and it's it's roles like woman at herbal tea shop and uh that's uh mario lopez just yeah just head down doing the work yeah she's like happy for it she's like a hong kong uh mario lopez with uh (laughs) with the look of a monica bellucci she's like a she almost looks like an asian monica bellucci in this film uh which yeah and she's fine like she's fine. There's no. She's completely yeah, inoffensive yeah. in this. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, her 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 role in this is to just look a bit mysterious and sultry, and and she and, handles and it well. Get into some. Yeah, she's fine. Yeah, Again, yeah, one yeah. of the finer talents of this film does nothing. Maybe the reason. So. Uh, yeah. She uh, gets some contracts signed with these Bangkok board members and uh, confirms that their children are going to be returned to their families. Do you know how I know that this film did not spend as much of its budget on this film as it should have? Do you know how I know that? How do you know, know that, that, Jim? 
like through sheer intuition, I won't say it's a, a you know objective fact, but and I am skipping a little bit ahead. But there's a moment in the film at one point where uh, M. Bison is talking to an underling and says, um, "If she escapes, I think it's something like that. If she escapes, you will be the first to die." And the soldier just nods like he's cool with it. Like he's like, fair enough. Like no stammering, scared, yes, sir. Sort no of sense thing. of intimidation, like, just acknowledgement yes, of his Just fate. acknowledgement. Yeah. Because paying people to talk costs. <laughs> Having him be anything other than just a nodding extra would cost more. And and I think like I think that is most telling of, yeah. of a film with a big budget that is not spending it where it should be. The fact that an underling's being threatened and his reaction to it is to basically not react. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good sign. Yeah. So now you keep talking. I'm setting my Assassin's Creed Origins impressions video live. Okay. Um, I was going to do it stealthily in the background, um, so that the listeners wouldn't notice. Um, but then I thought it would just be more amusingly disruptive to just bring it up. And it sure is. So Cantana uh, then calls Balra, Balrog, if I'm going to pronounce names in ways that may or may not be right. Uh, it, it, and we hear that conversation along with Interpol, who is apparently just monitoring the fuck out of Balrog. Um, and Maya comes in to deliver the news that the slums are being sold to this shell, cop- shell corporation, Esperanto Securities. And this is when Nash puts together Chatelau and Esperanto and comes to the conclusion that, holy crap, the increased crime in the slums was to lower property values to get a better price for Esperanto. Fuck! So everybody in the film, all of our principal players, have figured out what the bad guy's plan is simultaneously within the span of like six hours you know yeah now now here's the thing okay and don't think ill of me for this because i would hate to compare this film to the hit comedy in the same vein as rush hour street fighter the movie from the 90s starring Raul Julia. it wouldn't be our place to compare Street no. Fighter, the movie, and Street Fighter, the legend of Chun-Li. No, no. They're incomparable. They're different genres, different films, different purposes. However, let me let me posit this query, if and I may. What's a more exciting plot? M. Bison wants to create his own utopia. Not for glory. Not for evil. But for good. What is better, him trying to do that while the UN fucking stops him, or I'm going to buy up some property and sell it back to you? Well, I know, I don't know. I mean, if you don't get talk, me wrong. If you want to talk about the sheer, you know, like, dramatic potential of a real estate developer having unchecked near-total power in the world... I'm not arguing which one is the more evil plot. <laughs> I'm not arguing that no portrayal Raul Julia's ever given has been more evil right. than real estate tycoons. <laughs> but 
Yeah. I know what one I'd want to see in an action. Yeah, film. I know which one I, makes a more a more entertaining I, yeah. premise to watch unfold. I think Jean Claude Van Damme getting into a stealth submarine, going to get that Sandhofer Beach Bison, is a lot more thrilling and enthralling for an audience than a property scam. I, I'm I'm with you there. I'm with you. This is not uh, this is not Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, no, this, I mean even if it was trying to be, like short. Jesus Christ. Yep. Uh, so Esperanto security forces move into the slums and alert the locals that they have to evacuate the area by midnight because now their company owns everything. Putting up eviction notices and beating the occasional backtalker, and Bison rides in a limo to his new stomping grounds, which it turns out were his old stomping grounds as he grew up in these very same slums. And he waxes nostalgic about it to Balrog as they drive through a crowd of angry, displaced former residents. Yep. Displaying the very typical, I was poor, but now I'm not. Yep. Fucker mentality that uh, is... It's so popular. Uh, very po- very on vogue. Yeah, yeah. Very chic. Remember where you look. came from, people. Bring it back to the streets. And then destroy it. Yes, and then destroy it. The next day, Nash and Maya are staking out Esperanto looking for Balrog. And when they see him, to avoid being recognized, Nash sexually assaults Maya. Now, you, you did mention earlier that this is not a great distraction technique. Yes, the whole grab the, the girl grab, and, and yeah. basically, as you say, sexually assault her in the name of Guile. Um, not the not, Street, not Fighter, the street character, Fighter character. Who is not in uh, any way involved in this film. No, although apparently Jean-Claude Van Damme was asked to be in this film and, and actually play Guile, which would have just been bizarre. It's I don't know uh, what's but he turned it down. The idea of Guile appearing in this film as portrayed by Jean-Claude Van Damme or Jean-Claude Van Damme, like, doing it at this point. Yeah. That's a tough call. I, I can actually imagine Van Damme looking at this script and saying, no, nah, I'm going to pass. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's something. Uh, I would like to think he went through it and continually said, now look, I don't want to compare this to the other <laughs> Street Fighter movie I was in. They're very different, but... <laughs> now, but yeah, so he... This is a missed opportunity, this scene with uh, the barely expressed sexual tension between um, Maya and Nash up to this point. Like, up to now, it has really only been Charlie Nash, you know, kind of looking at Maya and thinking, I'd hit that, right? It's all yeah. been pretty one-sided at this point. They, they have not that much progressed in the flirting. Apart from, you know, Maya suggesting that, oh, well, I get to look at you while I'm looking past at this. It's some sort of vague flirting manner that I would never have interpreted as an invitation to uh, press face. Yeah. Um, so they missed uh, uh, they miss an opportunity when they do these scenes, I think, sometimes, especially when you have such sort of barely developed sexual chemistry between these characters, because he could ask for consent. Right. And it could be yeah. it could be a funny little exchange between these characters, you know, where they're only just pretending to do this by, you know, turning the back of his head to Balrog 
and, you know, making some motion to indicate, hey, you know, pretend we're making out. Uh, but they both really want to make out, and you could see it in their eyes. And a competent director and writer could have seen this opportunity and done something really fun with it. Oh, yeah. I mean, if the team behind the popular comedy movie Rush Hour were working on this, I think we'd have had a really good, like, sexual tension scene like that. Instead, we just went with that forced kissing scene we've witnessed in movies many, many times before that is sexual harassment in the workplace it really is. And that he's... she should have filed a dispute with HR about. Well, and, and he is her superior in this circumstance. You know, Interpol yeah, has come in and taken over this investigation. So what's she supposed to do? And, of course, afterwards, as they always do with these things, it's played always. off like she wanted it, you know, yeah. uh, and just hadn't expressed that she wanted it. Uh, anyway. People are going to go, oh, you're talking politics again. It's like, we're not, we're not, it's not, not political. Really. It's bad filmmaking, at first, like, to begin up front, with. yeah. Like, cliche shite. Uh, that the really should be looked at as, like, no, that you don't just randomly kiss someone. And uh, uh, if you were ever to do it for whatever reason, the result is very similar to what happens to the doddery old man who gets up in the business of the street punks in the alleyway. And it's, You're probably yeah. going to get your teeth kicked in. And it's worth pointing out that this is not, you know, like, uh, this is not necessarily us wearing our politics on our sleeves with this. And and there's no winning. We never do that. There, but there's no winning for us in this scenario because it, there's no way to, to look at this and not see a sexual assault. And there's no way to talk about it without making a bit of a joke of it. So if you're pissed off that we're talking about sexual assault, well, you know what? Uh, I made a joke about sexual assault. Shouldn't that make you happy? And if you're pissed off that I made a joke about that a sexual assault, uh, I'm pointing out the sexual assault here, guys. This is wrong. So either way, I'm, I'm screwed, but try to see it from the other side, please. Because it's not funny, and, and, and there's, there's no way to make it funny. Honestly, it's just kind of weird and gross and unnecessary. Uh, and we could do so much funnier shit with it. It just pisses me off, these, these I, tropes. I mean, it's such a cliche. Even at that point, yeah. it was such a cliche that it should really, at this point, only exist now as, as a potential for a, a, a parody of it. Right. And, and it, for some reason, so many movies and, and shows still do it. And it's so fucking lazy. Yeah, and every time I see it, I just think like, why didn't he get his face punched? Yes, <laughs> yes, that, because that, that would have been acceptable is what too. Should happen. I would have, I would have gladly taken that too. Like, if you have to do this for whatever reason, uh, have your other character show some backbone and stand up for herself a little bit. If you must do, th- and you don't have to do this, by the way, it's completely not necessary. There are better distractions. I mean, that goes back to what I said earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, there are better ways to distract someone than doing something that will make people look at you. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, Balrog gets into a car that's waiting, but then exits it on the other side to enter a cab. And Nash doesn't see this because of the manner in which he chose to, you know, distract from... Yeah. Yeah. 
so because it wasn't a distraction no. for him. No, that wasn't the motive. No, that wasn't the reason. He's just leveraging his power. It's just wrong. He, the amount, the amount of like cases he's taken over. Oh my god! Where he's done this. Oh. Yeah, and it, and it sounds, it seems, you know, it it seems so safe at first. You know, he's a cop. You know, you you develop this rapport, and then all of a sudden, boom, he's right in there. Oh, disgusting. They call him Nasty Nash at headquarters. He's got a fucking reputation. So fucking lech. Uh, Chun. Uh, so Maya and and Nash end up following the decoy car by mistake. Uh, Chun Li, however, does see Balrog's tricky little deception and tails him to a meeting with a Bangkok official. Where uh, he tells him about a ship that's coming in uh, and gives the name, drops the name, the White Rose. So Chun Li's now following down this lead some more. Uh, Gen does some more ridiculous training. This time, blindfolding Chun Li and having her catch steel balls using only the sound of the objects he bounces the balls off of to indicate their location. Jedi training. And a- after she catches a couple of them. He throws one directly into the middle of her back, causing her to almost faceplant into an inexplicably spinning table saw. Oh, God, yeah. Again, forgot about the fucking table saw that he almost split her face in half with. And that's to say nothing. Talking to someone who still, like, is in recovery from chronic back injuries... Throwing steel balls at the back of someone's fucking back. Needlessly cruel. Right, right, right in the lumbar, right? Where where hernias are bound to fucking happen. I mean, un- unbelievable. He has probably done so much long-term damage in that one act that she might not even feel to she's in her 40s. <laughs> but then, that, like, why is this table saw here at this dojo? Is question one. And question two is, why is it turned on? Neither of these things make sense to me at all. Yeah. This is another one of those things. And and I, I feel like maybe maybe TV tropes or someone should... Or unless they already have a page, they should get on creating one like this. Where you have to have seen other movies to get what this is about. The only reason I accepted that he damaged her spine irrevocably and tried to slice her face in two with a table saw that happened to be on for no reason with no context was that he was training her dangerously. Because I've seen other films where people are trained in a manner that is physically dangerous and could kill them. That's the only reason I didn't immediately question that shit. Yeah. And 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 there's got to be a name for it. And I'm normally really good at coming up with names for this sort of thing. I'll workshop it, but but there's got to be something to describe that because I've had to talk about it many times over the course of these podcasts. This this issue of I wouldn't know what was going on or why this was happening if I hadn't seen a dozen films that had done this before. Yeah, it's 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 almost a reliance on awareness of the trope. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, trope awareness. <laughs> trope awareness plot. Like that's that that's the only way it works. Um and when yeah, trope awareness narrative. It, it it's 
I'm just going to keep saying that in various ways until something becomes a thing. Um, but but but, it, but yeah, it's it's you've got to know the trope to know the scene. And it's it's like like deadly the deadly trading trope is what we have here, and and it's it's he's it's he legit seems like he's trying to kill her. Yes, I mean he is in basically. The kind of room the Jigsaw Killer would look at and think, you know what, this isn't even a fixer-upper. <laughs> I'm going to move right in here. Yeah, this is perfect. And Love the place. <laughs> I won't even haggle on price. So he, he throws this ball at her back. She f- falls, stumbles towards this spinning saw blade, catches herself, and then he comes behind her to bring a sword down on the back of her head. While she, she's still blindfolded. He can't give her a fucking break. She's using her hands to hold herself up, and now she has to lift her hands up and continue to maintain her posture to grab the sword above her with her hands. And when she does, oh, well, you know, she focuses her chi or something because uh, there's, you know, some of the energy computer animation in there for reasons. And then she disarms again and holds the sword to his throat. And then he quickly disarms her easily and then they have dinner and 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 don't talk about this again you know they don't they don't talk about how he very nearly murdered her ever mm-hmm. again it's just accepted it's just allowed nash and maya stake out a nightclub following bison's negotiator Cantana, and she arrives gives her security crew the night off and starts checking out the ladies so Chun Li, who is also at the club, tracking down leads, proceeds to seduce her on the dance floor, and then leads her into the bathroom for a good old-fashioned fighting. This is probably I would probably put it among the worst fight sequences in the film. Mm-hmm. Nothing really, nothing happens at all. Uh, it's a lot of pushing me off of the other person and into walls or into sh- uh, countertops in order to break free of the grapple that we're doing. It it it, it resembles more a uh, a mid nineties WWE divas match, right? Right? Uh, yeah. Than a, than a fight sequence in a film. Um, and somehow they, and I, I, I must have looked away. Somehow they managed to trip the uh, the sprinkler system in the bathroom, and so that they can get wet and fight. I mean, it's so obvious <laughs> what's happening here, and it's just dumb. Uh, so it gets a bit wet, but Chun Li does get further details on where the white rose is coming in and asks Cantana to tell Bison who done this before her security detail breaks down the bathroom door. Uh, the resulting commotion alerts Nash and Maya outside. More fighting happens with security people, during which Chun-Li straight up murders a dude. Like, no, she brings a guy to his ground, grabs his hand holding his gun, pushes it to his chest, and pops off around like we have seen her skill at disarmament this guy is prone there is no necessity for her to fucking kill him so this is our hero now a murderer uh 
cold-blooded killer. She then she then disarms four others with her signature spitting bird kick, and oh my god, that's like the thing from earlier, right? In the pendant. Well, of course, we are shown the pendant in a flashback, so there's no possible that would way help a member of the audience. That would help remind people. That would yeah, that would help remind complete fucking tools <laughs> that. That the spinning bird from the pendant is related to the kick she just done a, a kicking of. Well, it's an incredibly subtle and brilliant narrative connection that you wouldn't want anyone in the audience to miss. It's a film that knows it's stupid, <laughs> that treats its audience like idiots. Mash gets into the club and orders everyone to the ground, but Chun-Li makes a break for it and escapes by jumping off the roof. Stopping only to give a bunch of money to a woman in the alley who happens to have a crying child. <laughs> Which, okay, I guess if you need to demonstrate her charity and goodwill towards the people of the streets and who she's doing this fighting for, I suppose, it's not the best time. And she does it, she does it like she's in no rush. <laughs> she lands, and she, she's being pursued. And, and you'd think, oh, it's entirely possible that these people could look over the edge of this roof and see me. Maybe I should get... Oh, you know what? Here, I'm going <laughs> to stop real quick and tenderly give this money to this woman and make sure she feels comfortable and safe. Mm -hmm. Whatever. Uh, it's good. It's, it, it's good. real good. It's real good. Uh, Balrog and Bison are finishing up a workout in which Bison has beaten Kentana to death. Having uh, for having squealed about the incoming shipment. Yeah. Now I'd, I'll give the movie some credit here. That actually made my jaw drop a little bit. That um, was kind. Of, that it's... it was unexpected and really did showcase a very brutal side of the villain. Yes. The fact that because because it's even well shot, like it just looks like he's punching a punching bag, and then the, the camera moves pans. slowly, pans over, and yeah, it's this is and, a well yeah. executed scene. Credit where credits due. Yes, and and also helped along by Michael Clark Duncan, whose whole casual attitude in this scene kind of made it, it even worse. It, it earned it. Uh, it yeah. worse in a in a in a way that I mean to give some sort of credit because this was a kind of a violent whoa scene. Um, but this is and a that really gave him some villainy. This scene is uh, the stopped clock being right twice a day. Yes, it is. Yes. I I mean I. I could find all sorts of things to be critical about in just about every shot of this movie, but this scene is kind of perfect. Yeah, it does. It does work until and... <laughs> until until after uh, Michael Clark Duncan leaves the scene, and uh... <laughs> and for whatever reason. The screenwriter or the director or I don't know who is responsible for this atrocity. A dog walked on set with with a pencil in its mouth and got the near son the of Sam showed up <laughs> and communicated to the director and said, "Hey, you know what this scene needs? This scene needs to reference the most famous sequence in The Godfather Part Two. That's what this scene needs. As M. Bison yeah. delicately puts his hands over the cheeks of Cantana and says, you broke my heart, and kisses her on the forehead. 
Yeah, something something to carry on, like going from the brute, brute violence to the calm creepiness again in that way. Um, yeah, something like that. And it w- something like it that. would be nice to have something like that. Yeah, something like that. But to just straight up take the Godfather scene where Michael Corleone says goodbye to his brother Fredo in this context is so beyond inappropriate. I, this, it's not even a fair comparison. It's not even close. It's, it's less a fair comparison than comparing this to the rush hour alike comedy street fight of the movie because it it never earns the relationship between m bison and kentana that justifies this level of connection and and this well again this is this the same goes for the sexual assault scene earlier um between kevin nash and the blood god is basically they want to have these moments of character interaction and development and, and and characters building on each other without bothering to do any of the development and build and writing. So it's just do the scenes. Yes. Let's just do the end scenes that people... like, like The pitch, uh, the peak scenes from those dynamics that people expect in movies and just do them. And in the case of M. Bison... They couldn't even be that lazy. That lazy was aspirational in comparison. Yeah. Just, yeah. I mean, that's that's part of it as well. You know, it's. I, I, I always hesitate to call things lazy unless, you know, it's truly, truly obvious because, as has been pointed out many times with games and movies, a lot of people do work very hard on things, but... When it comes to specific elements, you can point at it and say, that's fucking lazy. And far too much of this film in terms of narrative structure is bone fucking idle. Yep. It doesn't earn any of these scenes that it wants at any point. No. Um, So Maya and Nash are trying to figure out who Chun-Li is in all of this mess. But all they have to go on is a security camera feed from the club, which produces a grainy photo. And they take to the streets, but nobody's recognizing the photo, and Nash comes to the conclusion that the locals are protecting this person. So over lunch, Chun-Li asks Gen about Bison, who explains that they grew up together, that Bison was the orphaned son of Irish missionaries who became a feared criminal with an unquenchable ambition. And in an effort to be the best criminal he could be, he engaged a ritual in which he transferred the goodness of his soul to his unborn daughter, killing his new wife in the process. And we're shown this. And again, I, you know, I guess it's good that we're shown this because this is another scene that, similar to the uh, Cantana beating them scene, does effectively convey the just sort of evil of this character. Because he, like, performs a C-section by hand in a temple on his pregnant wife. And you have to realize the amount of planning that would have to go into the execution of this, right? 
You got to find someone to yeah. marry, you know, impregnate them, bring them to this <laughs> temple when it's nearly time for them to give birth so that the child isn't born too prematurely in this effort. That's a lot you have to go to. Like, and and it's yeah. it's not... And, and I'm still going to say that getting a Dalzem scientist to turn a man green is a better plot than this. Oh, I agree. It's simpler for one. I agree. But I will say this. It's, they're, they're show, it's the showing of the act that they think is like, oh my God, what a beyond evil thing. But to me, it's the premeditation of it. That's what's really evil. Because if you stop and think about all of the effort he would have had to go to to achieve this end and could have stopped at any time along the way, (laughs) why does he need his conscience eliminated exactly? Why is this a stumbling block for him? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's it. Like, it really should have been, like, the moment in his heart of hearts he was committed to this shit. Like, yeah, I think the conscience is pretty much gone. Yeah. Uh, so Gen, God, sends, stupid Gen then sends Chun-Li out for groceries so that she won't be there when the ge- bad guys he's anticipating an attack from attack the, do- the dojo. And you can see that, you can tell this, because you can see it on his face, the concern as he as she leaves. You know, she, he's all, yes, like, yes. playful. Unlike, unlike with Taboo's performance as Vega later, um, you can actually sort of get from the body language of the scene. Mm-hmm. And I'm not necessarily blaming Taboo for this, no. um, as I am just, again, that whole scene being a fucking nightmare where you can't follow anything. But here we get a shot and a performance that portrays enough body language that you can tell exactly what's going on. Yes. Um, and, and so it's, yeah, credit credit to the actor for being able to, to do that and, and the director for not fucking up his doing that. Yeah, yeah. Like, like credit to the film for somehow getting this bit right. This, this incredibly bit. minor, unimportant thing. Yeah. Again, like how, you know, the best fight scenes in this are the, the old man getting kicked in and Dan Bison versus um, Cantana. Yeah. Uh so the bad guys do attack the dojo, um, and and Gen fights them for a while, but it culminates in Balrog destroying the building with an RPG, and uh, Chun Li barely out the door, uh, goes back and finds her pendant in the burning wreckage. So thank God she didn't lose that. Uh, we're we're gonna need to see that spinning bird a few more times. Well, I mean, if they lost that, that's I'd I I would not be able to follow the plot anymore. Bison meets with Vega. And orders him to kill Chun-Li. Yeah. Nash does some... This is like a montage of setup for the, the finale, basically. Uh, Nash does some investigating and finds news stories from Hong Kong about Chun-Li's father's disappearance and then her later disappearance. Now, I have a couple of problems with this. One, <laughs> again, this businessman kidnapped and working for a criminal enterprise... There's a news story about it. So people knew he was kidnapped by a criminal organization, yet continued to take his calls. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I mean, this, this seems all fair enough so far. 
I'm not quite sure why, where where the problems are with with this film or any of its writing. And 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 and, and the other question I have is, uh-huh. how did Nash get to th- like what? Where's the logical jump that goes from? Nash walking around in the streets with a photo of this woman and not being able to get any information from anybody about who she is to news articles about her father and her. In that order. Uh, again, again, I, I, I can't quite see the problem here. <laughs> um, uh, because, you see, the film needs to get to its conclusion <laughs> so he finds what he needs to find. Ah, okay. Like that. That seems like pretty sensible I, narrative structure to me. I get it now. You know, you're right. When you put it like that, it's so clear. Yeah, yeah. If you stop watching this movie as a story and view it as a product, as a means to an ending. <laughs> yes. Uh, if if you view it as we've been contracted to make this movie, so let's just get it fucking done. Then a lot of the story makes a lot more sense. It all comes into Because focus. then you realize things happen that, when they need to happen. Yeah, and, and for the reason that they need to happen. Yes, yes. Uh, Chun-Li, sensing that she's being followed through the streets of Bangkok, starts running across rooftops and manages to catch a pursuing Vega by surprise. Uh, fighting happens. But, Which is shocking, considering that he should have been using his stealth camo. <laughs> uh, Chun Li pretty much kicks the crap out of him. Like it's it for all of yeah. the like feared, uh, you know, sort of subdued, keeping him out of the spotlight in the shadows for his fighting to sort of increase the the the, the level of intimidation that he has. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's he does sort of go out cheaply. Yeah, and and the the what makes this extra shitty is you know one of the most famous fight scenes from Street Fighter media outside of the games is Chun Li Vega. Yeah, from the animated Street Fighter Two movie that we talked about in an earlier episode, um, that fight scene is famous. Uh, you know, unless I'm misremembering, I recall it being a fairly sort of iconic, yeah. real iconic, not Ubisoft iconic, fight scene for, for video game media outside of the actual source material. I think it's one of those things and that if people are going to remember one thing from the Street Fighter anime, only one thing about the Street Fighter animated, it's going to be that fight sequence. For a long time, I mean, it was it it, it was the movie to me, that scene. Yeah. Uh, and and it's, it's iconic enough that they even reference it in this fight. They don't do it correctly, because of course they wouldn't, but there is, a, a again, a rather famous moment within the scene where Chun-Li um, gets uh, the mask off of Vega and smashes his face in, and he holds his face and he's like, my beautiful face is ruined, you bitch, I'll make you suffer. Um, and I'm fairly certain that that in this scene, when she cuts him, like she slices across his face and he holds it, and is angry and says, "You bitch," but then says like, "I'll rip you apart." Like I'm fairly certain it was supposed to be a shout out to the Street Fighter uh, movie, yet they didn't do the quote right, mm. which is funny because they're really good at referencing other movies almost word for word. Uh, but but couldn't do this one for Basin. Pretty strange. Uh, uh, but like I say, this scene also with with 
its body language so bad that officially in the truth, the the canonical trivia for this, it might not be canon in the film, but canonically the trivia for this is that Vega wears the mask to hide his face as as espoused by Chun Li, who'd only just met him. And obviously was just trying to get a rise out of him because he didn't look all that ugly. I mean, come on, he's heartthrob taboo. <laughs> so he uh, he gets his ass kicked and, and Chun-Li leaves him hanging from a building. Yeah, like, like a Spider-Man villain. And then she travels to the port where the ship is due to come in. And when the port officer tries to get her to leave, she subdues him and learns the time of the ship's arrival, which... Yeah. It's going to shock you. She murdered. Earlier, she murdered someone who's less evil than Vega. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, well, but but that's... And that's why I think that uh, really only Bison is the one that it, it would be hard to do the, oh, he's still alive thing. Yeah. You know, not impossible, yeah. but hard. Everybody else gets It would have out. to be a like a... It would have to be a psycho power Deus Ex Machina kind of thing, right. like you know. That's when he re- reveals, "Oh, I've got all of the the special effects Street Fighter shit too." Uh, but yeah, yeah like I, it's hard to come back from that without us having to suspend disbelief for their movie. They tried to make more realistic. Uh, Nash and Maya learn that they're off the case, uh, investigating these gangland murders, as the police force has also been corrupted by Shadowlow. Uh, Balrog as well. He goes. Balrog goes. If I if I recall correctly, Balrog dies in this. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, Like, and I I haven't read ahead back to. I've forgotten because he's. Well, we'll we'll get there. Um, I realize we're jumping ahead and I'm giving spoilers, but. No, no, it doesn't matter. I just legitimately cannot remember if it seems so explicit that Balrog is dead. Yeah. Okay. Um, Okay. Well, we'll yeah, we'll get there. Uh, so Maya's resigned to following the orders from her her superiors, but Nash isn't ready to give up this case so easily and expresses as such. Uh, Chun-Li arrives mm-hmm. at the dock. And we've already learned mm-hmm. what he thinks of, of professional boundaries. That's right. Uh, <clears throat> Chun-Li shows up at the dock at midnight, but it's a trap, and she's overwhelmed by Bison's men uh, and gets captured. And she's held. I wish she was overwhelmed by bison men. That, <laughs> that would have been, been good. I'd have watched that movie. Huge beast men like in Warhammer. It's just like it, it's a whole bunch of minotaurs. Yeah. Oh God! Why didn't this film have minotaurs? <laughs> so she's held in a room, and her father is brought by bison to see her. Uh, and or it's brought in by Balrog. Actually, I'm sorry. And her father asks why she followed him, and they have a tearful reunion before Bison comes in and fairly unceremoniously breaks his neck. And then Bison leaves, and Balrog comes in to ask if Chun-Li has any final words before then he leaves her behind with two goons to kill her. This is classic, leaving the hero with two people who are expendable so that they can escape. Mm -hmm. And sure enough... Uh, they hang her by her feet, but she manages to defeat them through a series of swings, pushes, flips, and kicks to the film's credit. This is one of the better action-y sequences because it's so confined. Oh, the film's earned itself two whole credits. Yeah. it's it, Save up enough and you'll get a pencil topper. It's, it, it's not good, necessarily. 
but it it keeps it tight enough that it's kind of impressive the sort of mild gymnastics that would be involved and 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 the way in which she kind of plays the opponent off of her herself they they give her the momentum that she needs to lift herself upright and get out of the ropes for example it's it's a pretty well executable scene I think at this point in the movie, I may have just been replying to to comments on my uh, Patreon page. No, oh, that could be. That could be. Um, there were various points where I, you know, took a shit, um, responded to messages, did correspondence, did some admin. Uh, it was around about this part of the film. It's a, it's it's an hour and twenty six, which is far from the longest one we've ever done. Yeah. It felt longer. It did feel much, much longer. Um, so, let's see. Oh, yeah. So, she breaks out of wherever she's being held, and hitmen are chasing her, running through the streets while the street people are impeding her pursuer's progress. So, you know, she's got some people helping her out. That's great. Balrog uh, took a trip around the block in a car and, and wind up winds up getting ahead of her and pulls a gun. And when a child... Chasing a, chasing a soccer ball gets away. Like, oh my god. How tropey do you need to get in this scene where clearly there's been a chase and people have watched it and this child is off to one side and there's this confrontation and then the child... Like, why why is the child still playing with the ball? That doesn't make any sense. If I were the child and this guy got out of a car, you know, you know, just swoo- swooped up, I'd... I, I'd drop the ball and be looking in that direction, maybe, or I'd be holding the ball. I certainly wouldn't be thinking about crossing this alleyway or street or whatever you want to call it to retrieve my dropped ball should I drop it. But this is a dumb, dumb, dumb movie. And we need to increase the dramatic volume of it, I guess, maybe? So he, of course, chases that soccer ball. (laughs) <laughs> and Chudley shields the child to, uh, and takes a bullet in the shoulder. And this prompts the assembled street people to drive Balrog away with hurled rocks. Uh, wounded, Chudley makes her way into an alley where she's found by Gen, who apparently survived the attack on the dojo. He takes her to some other sort of sanctuary... Uh, and uses the speed force to vibrate the molecules in Chun-Li's bullet wound, healing her instantly. And then they meditate and work on Chun-Li's energy ball, which uh, it's really coming along by this point. She can almost form one. Uh, It's good for her. Nash is getting drunk at his safe house when Chun-Li shows up to his great surprise and tells him that Bison's ship is coming in, saying that she'll need backup. Now... Again, this is one of those instances where we have a character who just shows up because it's necessary or does a thing because it's necessary to advance the plot and keep and to keep Nash involved in the story. Nash Yeah, and, I mean cuz he's been such an important fucking that's character. The fucking thing. Nash and Maya's <laughs> subplot is of no value whatsoever to this entire film. None. We could have dropped the whole thing, saved 25 minutes of film, and it would be no the worse for it. Um, But it's dedicated to having him in there. 
and and it's within the confines of the narrative as ha- as has been established to me this is a way 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 more believable uh scene than Nash finding out about Chun-Li it makes so much more sense that Chun-Li would have access to information about Nash because of the way he's been wandering around asking questions about Chun-Li and if there's this street network in place that is so impressive that it makes complete sense that she would be able to easily track down his location and show up at his home unannounced. But it, it just doesn't work the other way. I'm sorry. Uh, Nash and his Interpol team secure the port office and are waiting for Bison when Maya rolls up with SWAT teams, having had a change of heart herself. So everybody's together. Uh, Bison and Balrog arrive aware of the unwanted presence of authorities, but Balrog assures Bison that they're prepared for this, and a bomb is triggered in the office. Uh, Nash and Peeps manage to escape in time. Uh, There's some shooting that happens, and it provides enough distraction for Chun-Li to make her way to the boat and uh, just sort of move right past a young girl asking about her father, as if, you know, it's just a thing that would happen on this boat in this scenario. Uh... Gen is also already boarded, and he runs into Balrog, who relies entirely too much on his gun initially, but does eventually pummel the shit out of Gen with a compressed air canister, letting slip that white ro- the White Rose is a girl in, in this whole process. Uh, this is the first time we've seen Balrog do something kind of stupid. Like, legit stupid. It's just mm-hmm. odd, because he's so casually cool and confident, you wouldn't think that he would need to expose this fact that this this girl... Oh, right, but we need to progress the plot. Sorry. There we go. There we go. As the plot demands, so shall the character behave. Uh, Gen does win this fight in the end by spraying coolant on Balrog, and this freezes him seemingly to death. I guess I, it's vague enough that maybe you could come up with an yeah, excuse for him to be again, alive. He, but it could be like I, I thought out, yeah, it, and nothing bad happened to my body as a result. It's it's in no way as explicit as Bison in a bit here. Um, yeah, yeah. Chun Li catches up with Gen, who really who relays this new information about the girl. Uh, so Chun Li immediately remembers her because I mean it was just like two minutes ago that she saw her. And Gen recognizes that, oh, well, this must be Bison's daughter, the holder of his conscience and his only weakness. Well, that's convenient. Uh, Bison does meet with his daughter, but their reunion is cut short when a guard tells him that they haven't heard from Balrog in a little while. And then, so this is the scene where uh, he, uh, Bison tells this guard that, you know, if anybody touches her, he'll be the first to die. Uh, and he takes it yeah. on the chin pretty well. Uh, really well because he's not paid to talk. Uh, and Nash, Maya, Gen, and Chun Li all sneak into the Esperanto Tower by somewhat different means. Uh, they're all separated for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like it how in and again I don't want to keep comparing this to uh, the '90s movie Street Fighter the movie. Oh, which was a comedy in the was... vein of Rush Hour. It was very similar to Rush Hour in its comedic leanings, mm-hmm. and therefore very difficult to compare to this film, which is a gritty, realistic, real-life look 
at criminal organisations. Um, more close to the Sopranos, if anything else. Uh, and I don't want to make comparisons, but... But... What's better? A movie that works really hard to take characters that in a prequel state that aren't in their element yet and work super hard throughout the course of the movie to make sure everyone has fulfilled their role and gotten into their iconic costumes by the end of it. Or a movie that half-heartedly works throughout the course of its movie in the same way of setting up the pieces to bring two boring subplots together. <laughs> to make sure that Charlie Nash, who's done nothing, gets into the same building as Chun-Li, who's done, to be fair, a bit more. <laughs> Just a bit. Uh, yeah, so Gen is poking around Bison's office when Bison comes in and starts throwing Gen around like a rag doll. Uh, this is not so much a fight as some vague punching. Mm-hmm. It's in a little 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 tossing of a person. It's it's over pretty quick. Uh, it's one of those ones where, again, if if they weren't so tied to the realism, <laughs> having him beat him down with you know Psycho Crusher style energy. This is where this stuff, shit should come know. in. The confrontation between yeah. the two former allies who are now on opposing uh, ends of of life. Yeah. Um. Well, that would be too fun. Now, Nash finds his way to Rose, uh, and when Bison returns to her room, she's gone, and Gen's there instead. So somehow he got a, Gen got ahead of Bison after Bison sort of beat the crap out of him and left him for dead? Sure. They do a second fighting. Uh, Bison kicks Gen through a window onto some scaffolding and moves in for the kill when Chun-Li shows up to do fighting with a bamboo staff. Uh, some back and forth fighting ensues, with Bison getting the upper hand, only to be hit with three bags of concrete dropped from a cart on a pulley above him. Sure. Uh, Chun-Li then ends the battle with her very first Hadouken, which knocks Bison to a lower level of scaffold, uh, or something like that, and he seems to be impaled through the abdomen with a post, but it doesn't, like, penetrate the other side, it just sort of, like, pokes into his shirt. Mm-hmm. And then, not satisfied with what would likely be an excruciatingly slow and painful convalescence followed by a lifetime of imprisonment, Chun-Li jumps past Bison, grabbing his head with her feet on the way down and twisting his neck to face the wrong direction. Yeah. Yeah, she she straight up kills She's him. just fucking murders him. Yeah. Um, quick and dumb. Neck broken. No more... Legends movies for the Street Fighter films. Nash congratulates Chun-Li on a job well done and then uh, allows her to escape to a helicopter on the other side of the island before the local officials can get involved. Uh, He later sees Maya at her office and they say their farewells. Um, Chun-Li returns home and pays her respects to her parents and, and then Gen appears and shows her an ad for a Street Fighter tournament thinking it would be a good place to find potential recruits for the Order of the Web, and that uh, he's heard of a a guy from Japan named Ryu. (gasps) Like in the games. But Chun-Li declines, saying, 
maybe next time. Oh, you see? You see, because Chun-Li doesn't appear She until... missed the first right. Street Fighter tournament. Made... That's, that is as close to the accurate mi- accuracy of the mythos of Street yeah. Fighter that this film ever gets. I'd love it if, like, the next one would have been Legends, like, Le- Legend of Kami. And then she's, like, at the end, they're like, hey, there's this street fighting tournament that's starting up. Um, there, There's this, you know, fighter named Chun-Li in there who might get you closer to Shadowloo and all this kind of stuff. And she's like, tell me when there's some new challenges. Oh. And then the credits roll. Oh. But... That would be a lot to sit through and suffer just to get to that one end bit. So just imagine a world where that happened. Um, and, and Well, imagine a world where that happened, but that the movie preceding the ending didn't happen uh, because that would have been just as bad as this one, if not worse. Yeah. Now, okay, so I mean, I mean that's, the, that's it. it. It rolls credits after this. That's, that's the end of the fucking movie. Yeah, yeah, generic rock track. Credits, dunzos. So, Conrad, did you like Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li or not? I mean, uh, it certainly gave me plenty to make fun of. Uh, There are, there's the occasional moment of competence that reminds you that this could have been not a bad movie in competent hands. Uh, which it 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 just it just didn't have the the director of this film uh he's we 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 dealt with him before he did Doom it's the same director as the Doom film oh well that that'll explain some of the yeah editing and cuts and yeah and his experience stuff. prior to Doom was you know movies with D M X. So that's I mean that's where the pre- that's where the pedigree okay. is. Um, okay. He's only done two movies since this. It's uh, and, and there was a four year gap between Doom and this, so there were clearly people hesitant. Um, it's yeah, it's not a good movie. There are brief moments of comfort, and you can see you can see where there was potential for this, but they they really I can't. It's so strange to me that Capcom approved this script like at no point does Chun-Li is Chun-Li a police officer which I thought that that was a pretty significant aspect of her character that she was a Hong Kong cop well she she was from Interpol so the assumption is I guess she spends the year before Street Fighter 2 Street Fighter 2 happens like being an Interpol for a very short time despite it being a famous part of her backstory yeah it's uh, I mean, let's let's face facts. The the film doesn't give a shit about the games, no. um, less so than you know your average cash in film that doesn't give a shit about the games. Uh, it really, like, I feel like it gave enough. Someone somewhere gave enough of a shit to try and do something different than what they thought was interesting. Yeah, with it failing to realize that what they were actually doing was not fresh and interesting it was tired and overdone but because they were doing it to street fighter they maybe felt it was fresh and i believe somewhere there was someone with some heart in this who saw potential or at the very least some executives saw this and saw potential for franchising 
But the fact that this was so flat and boring and couldn't possibly sustain uh, a sequel, um, I mean, I, I'm baffled as 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 to as to why they thought this would work. I don't know. I can't remember what the trends were at the time. Obviously, I follow movie trends a lot less than I do game trends, where I can sort of suss out the reason why certain things are happening. Um, So I I don't know what the movies, what what the trend in movies was at the time. Um, You know, maybe everything was, maybe that is when sort of the dark and gritty movie time was sort of kicking up. I, I can't recall, but trying to gritty realism Street Fighter clearly a failed fucking experiment. Well, I think I think that they looked at the 94 Street Fighter film and said, well, we don't want to do that again. We don't want to make mm. that mistake. Mm. And the thing is, is that it that's that fails to recognize that Street Fighter 2 was a film with real heart. Or, or, or I'm sorry, the Street Fighter the movie was a film that had real heart. Um, despite being goofy and dumb and bad, uh, it, it's a film that has room to be beloved in a lot of ways as yes. evidenced by the fact that there are people to this day that that actually do love it and uh, even if they're doing it tongue in cheek it's still one of our favorite films that we've covered on this absolutely show. and uh so it it, it kind of misses the things that are great about the street fighter movie and and dispense you know, it throws out the baby with the bathwater. um it could have stood to be a bit more silly or at least a little less earnest in uh trying to accept its silly things as being realistic that's always a problem when you, you're doing some silly shit and you're keeping this po face like just trying to pass it off as serious yep. and I, shit that we should be invested in and there are good decisions that were made in this the decision to not overburden it with a lot of street fighter characters was a smart one. They could have burdened... Well, I mean, that was a, a, a smart as it was cynical because, again, if we're looking at this as they wanted the Legends thing to be a thing, you don't want to shoot your wad too much. You want to tease at the characters as they did with Ryu. Similar, actually, to how they did with um, Batman Begins, where they teased the Joker at the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, this did come... This came out after... The Nolan verse kicked off, didn't it? Uh, I think so. Gotta have. Oh, gotta have. I'm. Sh- oh, Quintana is supposed to be Crimson Viper. Oh. I didn't. I, I at least according to the Wikipedia link that I followed. I, oh, okay. I was like, is this I don't know a Street Fighter games, character. So. I, was, I was like, I've never heard of her before. That's supposed to be. Uh, her other name is Maya, Sea Viper or Maya. So. Gotcha. I've heard the name. Um, not too familiar with that particular character. Uh, in the car- in the series, she's a CIA agent, uh-huh. as opposed to a, a Hong Kong uh, police detective. Uh, so, yeah, uh, the the character, but there's no need to have uh, the the Nash and Sea Viper storyline in here, even at all. Like they could have trimmed it back even further, or at least given them something uh, that made them more significant to the plot that that she had that they had yeah. some involvement yeah. in. Well, again, it's like they were trying to get in some other sort of subtle Street Fighter references and didn't want to burden themselves with the task of writing a second plot for the movie. So they just had a subplot that was more or less 
it was more or less just feeding off the main plot. Yeah. It was like they're like a like a tick burrowed into the main plot, feeding off it. And that's not really what subplots in movies do. Like, I get it why movies have different plots in the same film. It's so that you don't get burnt out on the single story. And, and, what, and so uh, that and you, you can, can have something different with other characters. Yeah, you can develop other characters. And, and yes, there's absolutely good reasons yeah. for subplots. Plenty. And, I, you know, sometimes you get a movie with subplots that are better than the main plots. And, and there's all sorts of cool things to do with, with, a, with B plots and C plots. And this one just has a B plot that scores an F. Yeah. Because it doesn't do anything. It does. It, it contributes nothing, but it's there just because they knew enough about filmmaking to know that this film would possibly be even more boring if we didn't cut away sometimes. Lack of clear fighting ability aside, you know, for the choreography and all of that, I do not think Neil McDonough is a terrible M. Bison choice. Um, I think that the role as portrayed here is poor but I, I the portrayal the directing the writing of m bison is all completely bad right but i do think neil mcdonough is a, a talented enough actor to have done something interesting and effective with the m bison character uh he he just wasn't provided anything to to work with in this script uh and and i i do i do hold fast to my um my perspective that he is Really, just Billy Zane's eyes in a in a different package, and uh, Get those Billy Zane eyes. He, uh, and I would love if they ever do another Street Fighter movie. I hope that they approach Billy Zane uh, to, to I, play Bison. I really would love that. I I would I would watch that in the theater. Mm-hmm. Yep. Maybe. Probably not. And I think that's pretty much all I have to say about the Legend of Chun Li. Uh, yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. So what are we doing next time, yeah. Jim? Don't ask me oh, that. Okay. Because well, I don't pretend, know. Pretend, pretend <laughs> I didn't ask. Um, what do we do next week? Sometimes I plumb forget. Like We, we usually plan to, to talk ahead um, and so that I can say it. Right. But as has been evidenced more than once on this show, I... Suck. Well, sometimes we ha- we have a, 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 a you know we get we get we get so excited about our yeah. opportunity to yeah. talk about these movies that uh, we miss. Do we want to do something maybe that's actually not a bad movie? I'd like to. Okay, because people, I, I'd like. There have to. been a few people who have asked on several occasions that uh, we do existence. Okay. Have you seen Existence? I've not seen. I've heard of oh. it. I've heard of Existence, oh. but I've not seen Existence. Boy, we are in for a treat. That's gonna be. That's gonna be fun. Yeah, let's. We should do that next time. Let's do Existence. All right. All right then. Next time on the spin-off Doctors, we're doing Existence. How about yep, that? Yeah, that's E X I S T E N Z. If you're trying to find it, it's uh, directed by David Cronenberg, cool. and and legitimately, in my opinion, actually a good movie. So uh, look forward to that. Well, well, I mean, Cronenberg already. So yep. there we go. So that'll be that. Thank you for listening. Uh, you can check out the other podcast we do if you like hearing our voices. 
Uh, we do a podcast called Fist Shark Marketing. Fist, like punching, shark like jaws. And you can see that on fistshark.com or look it up on iTunes, Fist Shark Marketing. Uh, also follow Conrad on Twitter, Conrad Zimmerman. All, all one word. I should say that again. Conrad Zimmerman, all one word. Don't look up for Zimmerman. That's someone else. I don't know who, I don't know who he, he is. is either. Does he know my dad? I don't know. His name sounds like a so, citrus fruit. Ah, uh, don't trust him. So, Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter, all one word, and you, you know my pr- deal already. So, thank you all for listening. Thank you for your continued support, and we will see you next time for Existence. Bye. Bye.